again. This is Brian Copeland talking. Welcome to another edition of Copeland's Corner. A little bit later on, if all goes well, I'll be joined by a distinguished panel of comics, and we'll talk about some of the news of the week. Uh, one to start with this is I record this on Wednesday afternoon. Um, Justin Pearson, uh, who is a member of the uh, Tennessee State Legislature representing Memphis, and Justice and Justin Jones. Uh, who is also a member of the Tennessee State House, uh, were both ejected by their African-American, and they were both ejected by their white colleagues for taking part in a nonviolent protest about gun violence, uh, protesting the Nashville shooting that, that ended with three nine-year-olds dead. Uh, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones were with a white female colleague, she was not ejected from the state house, but they were. Uh, so what's happened now is that uh, their uh, individual county commissions who have the power to vote in um, substitutes, if for whatever reason a a member of of a house, uh, a member of the state house is not able to fulfill his or her duties, they can pick somebody, and they just reappointed the two good people who were kicked out. So, um, you know, this has just started a firestorm across the country because it's just so blatantly racist. And it's got me thinking and doing a little bit of reading today about the Reconstruction period. And if you're not familiar about the Reconstruction period, don't feel badly. You know, we weren't taught a lot about it in school. It was the period of time after the Civil War from about 1865 to roughly 1877, where the federal government was trying to to do a couple of things. One was to rebuild the South. Two was to readmit the Southern states that had left the Union and become the Confederacy and readmit them into the Union. And the third and most important part was how to deal with the freedmen. And the freedmen were those who had formerly been slaves. Uh, and what happened was you ended up with the 12th, 13th and 14th Amendments passed, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that granted full citizenship and civil rights and, and the like to those who had formerly been slaves. Uh, you had those who had formerly been slaves now in the South allowed to um, form unions. It allowed them to be, be paid for their labor. It allowed them to to vote, which was obviously a, a major deal to have a, a, a voice in in their own governance. And it even allowed them to hold public office. And you ended up with the first African-American United States senator. Most people don't know this. Blanche Bruce, uh, who was a former slave who, after the emancipation, was able to accumulate some land and bought a bunch of, of land that he rented out to people and became rich. And this this rich African-American man became the first black senator representing the state of Mississippi uh, during Reconstruction. So uh, the way that the civil rights were guaranteed was that the federal government sent federal troops to the South to make sure that the rights of the freedmen were respected and that uh, they were granted the same civil rights as everybody else. So this went on for about 12 years, r- uh, roughly, because there, there, there's some discrepancy as to exactly how long it lasted. But the, the official ending is approximately 1877. And what happened was, is as time went on, 
uh, originally it was the South that was against Reconstruction and against giving blacks equal rights. Then you had uh, eventually the Northerners, several of the Northerners, um, joined the South in not wanting to see the equal rights because they never thought about, oh, wait a minute, if they're equal, they're going to move up here. And we don't want those people living up here with us. So there was actually a movement to get federal troops out of the South uh, to allow the South to deal with the freedmen however they chose. And what finally sealed the deal was there was a contested election, and I believe it was 1876, and the House of Representatives ended up picking the president, and it was Rutherford B. Hayes, who was the 20th president of the U.S., and as part of the compromise, part of the deal that they made uh, in order to make him president was to get rid of Reconstruction, was to recall the federal troops from the South uh, and let the South do what the South wanted. And coincidentally, of course, this was at the same time that the KKK was being founded and that the KKK was uh, restoring their system of segregated order uh, through violence and through intimidation. So as a result of this, you had another hundred years of of legalized discrimination and, and segregation after after Reconstruction ended. But for that that brief period of time, that twelve years, it looked like things were going to be equal; that people were going to be given the same rights, and we weren't going to see the discrimination. We weren't going to see the brutality that we saw during the four hundred years of bondage that that people of color uh, went through in the South. So we have a hundred years of segregation. Then in nineteen sixty four, things changed. Nineteen sixty four, you got the Voting Rights Act. I'm sorry, the Civil Rights Act. Excuse me. Well, which which uh, got rid of segregation and guaranteed equal rights to people of color. 1965, you got the Voting Rights Act over the which was guaranteeing the the right to vote and um, also had federal oversight over states with a history of voter suppression. Uh, you had uh, laws passed in in various states and jurisdictions against housing discrimination. You had affirmative action, which guaranteed access to schools and universities and and in, in hiring and the like. Um, and so it looked again like things were getting better. It looked like we were on the right track again for equality in this country. And now you look at what's going on. And it, it, there are just so many parallels to what happened at the end of Reconstruction. You have a group of disgruntled white people who believe that by giving equal rights to people of color, that they are somehow being oppressed. So they'll run around with their White Lives Matter shirts and, and do whatever it is that they possibly can uh, to maintain white supremacy. You know, things such as kick the only two black members of the Tennessee state legislature out of the legislature for peacefully protesting. And when you look at the at some of the things that other members of that legislature have done, I mean, you got a guy who uh, in the state legislature who they refuse to kick out, who they have like photographic evidence that he was molesting teenage girls. And not only did they not kick him out, they made him a chairman of a committee 
And so there are all kinds of people that have done horrible things who have not been dismissed. This was clearly because you had these two members who were black. And we are seeing we are seeing a rollback in the rights that were gained in the 60s. Uh, uh, we, we see the, the Voting Rights Act has been gutted. So now you don't have that federal oversight of those states that had a history of voter suppression. So now you've got voter suppression back and back in force, you know, to where in Atlanta, it's a crime to, to give a drink of water to somebody standing in line in the heat, uh, in a long line in, in the heat uh, waiting to vote. So I think, and I hope that I'm wrong, but I think that what's happening is, is that, you know, in the future, historians are going to look at, at the 60s and the 70s and the 80s as being the second reconstruction period. And we're going to see a rollback again. We're already seeing it, that we're going backwards, that we're going backwards. So the question becomes, what are we going to do about it? And, and short of of coming out and, 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 number one, paying attention to what's going on, and number two, voting in force, I don't know what the hell we do about it. But there are a lot more of us, and by us, I mean people who are thoughtful, people of all colors who are thoughtful, who believe in equal rights and believe in equal justice. There are a lot more of us than there are of them. And if we get off our asses and go to the ballot box, that's the only way that we get rid of it. This is the part of the podcast that we call Headliners on the Headlines. Now, we are expecting comics Chris Riggins and Damon Ferguson, and sometimes they have uh, some, some trouble connecting because we're doing this whole thing over Zoom. You know, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table, and uh, all the comics you hear every week are at various places around the country. Uh, and so sometimes uh, there's there's trouble connecting, and they'll pop in a little bit later on. So I'm hoping that's what happens. But we are lucky enough to have Lauren Mayer. Uh, Lauren was able to connect, and Lauren has has enough opinions for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so shy usually, Brian, but twist my arm. You're so shy, and I'm so glad you got up. You had laryngitis, huh? Yeah, I got that cold that had been going around, and because, you know, COVID had us uh, being so careful about everything. I haven't had a cold in, like, four years. Me either. So this, yeah, this one really hit me, and then I thought it was just a cold, and then I woke up Monday morning and could not make a sound, which, if people know me, that's really rare. And what makes it even worse is the night before, I was trying to do vocal rest. My son's partner was over, and they were in a pun contest, and I couldn't join in. It was killing me. <laughs> they were exchanging bad puns, and I love pun contests. So, and and there's all you know. I mean, I, I I'm never shy about sharing my opinions, but when I have laryngitis, it's a little harder. So it's torture for me. Well, you know, that's the thing that they're noticing is because of the fact that we were under lockdown, and then after lockdown, you know, we had all the time in masks, and I still wear masks yeah. if I go to the grocery store somewhere. I'm still yeah. wearing a mask because I, you know, I've, I've got a granddaughter who just got her first COVID shot now it's six months finally, and she'll get her second one in a couple of weeks. But because of the fact she's been unvaccinated, I've been super careful because I don't yeah. want to be around her and bring her something. Um, but the fact that we've been masked, uh, we we were locked down, we were masked, so we were protected. Now right. when something hits that normally would have just been like a little something, it's it's kicking your ass. Right. Because our resistance is down and and I've been wearing a mask if I'm in crowds, 
but I haven't been wearing it all the time. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely be more careful. And I can say on air uh, now, because they made it Facebook official, I'm going to be joining you in the ranks of grandparenthood because my son and his wife are expecting a baby in October. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. So, yeah, I'm really excited. They they had originally asked me not to say anything, and then all of a sudden they posted it on Facebook. So, so yeah, if guess, it's not, once it's on Facebook, shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I had to say. It's like, you know what? I'll keep it quiet. But no, wait a minute. You just posted, you know, sonogram on Facebook? No. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm talking about it. If you can post it, then I could talk about it. I I actually asked if I could share the news and they said, absolutely. So I'm pretty excited. And they've already asked me to babysit when the baby's just a month old. So, um, but they're in Massachusetts. So I have to fly out. It's not exactly as convenient. Yeah, I did that by myself Uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I babysat by myself. Um, and it's, it's weird because it's, you know, I hadn't changed a diaper in 30 years, you know, and it's just, it's weird, the stuff you forget, and it's weird, the stuff that's changed. Yes. You know, all, all of the stuff, you know, like when I, when I was a little kid, I used to change my baby sister's diapers. I used to, I was the oldest of five, and so I would change her, and it was, it was, um, you know, cloth diapers and diaper pins, you know, yeah, now, it's, now that, it's Velcro. But- yeah. yeah, it's yeah. and even since our kids were little, because I think your kids and my kids are similar ages, mine are in their uh, late 20s. And, you know, we had the Velcro disposable diapers and things were pretty easy. But um, my son texted me the sonogram from the doctor appointment this morning. It's so much more vivid than what we got. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty funny. So, well, yeah, they have the 3D, you know, the, the, it, there are boutique places is where my daughter went to like right. this little boutique place in a, in a high end strip mall where you were able <laughs> to see 3D color. Sonograms. With glamour makeup, I'm sure. <laughs> glamour makeup, makeup yeah. artist to make sure there's no shine on the forehead yeah, or any exactly. of that stuff. And 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 actually, it's it's a trip to look at those because when you look at a regular sonogram, it's just kind of like uh, you know, it's kind of like a fuzzy black and white, you know, kind of like bad reception on the TV. And, right. And, and when you go to the 3D thing, it's like, wow, that's a little human being, and there's fingers, you there's you know, yeah. So do you know what you're expecting, a boy or a girl? Yeah, they're gonna have a boy. So they're they're. They're really excited. I have to admit, I had two sons, so I'm hoping for a granddaughter at some point because I I like, you know, that kind of stuff. But my boys couldn't be more different if they were from other planets. So, yeah. uh, you know, whatever they have is healthy. And I'm I'm just I'm over the moon. What's hysterical is my husband is not my kid's dad, but he raised them. But he changed one diaper because by the time he came along, the youngest was pretty much out of diapers. So all he ever had to do was change one. So now he gets the joy of diaper changing. Well, get so, ready to start spoiling the hell out of them because that's already. I'm, oh. I mean, she she just had her first Easter, and I just I'm already. I mean, she's not allowed to have candy or anything good, <laughs> you know, because she's six months and and you know she can't have candy. And so I, you know, I found a bunch of baby friendly, you know, non chokeable toys and yeah, put them exactly. in a basket for. Her. But I'm I'm already planning all the crap I'm going to do this. Oh, exactly, exactly. I'm that's all, the fun already, of it. It's like it's like hurry up so I can take you to the zoo. You know, hurry up so we can ride the carousel. You know, my daughter then, jokes that 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 uh, that her mother and I wanted her to have a three year old. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so we can take her and do stuff. You know, exactly. So, all right. Well, we'll actually let's start with this. We'll 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 start with it. We'll start with the kids' topic. Um, Disneyland has announced today that as of May third, they are closing Splash Mountain, 
And the reason that they're closing Splash Mountain is because thematically it's tied to the Disney film Song of the South, which you may or may not have seen. It's been locked up in Disney's vault for a couple of decades now because Mm -hmm. the 1946 film is so incredibly racist. It's so it's so racist that Disney won't let it out of the vault. I mean, it basically, if you haven't seen it, it's Hattie McDaniel. And what it's about is, uh, yes, slavery's over, but doggone it was so good. We're just going to stay on the masses plantation for fun. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. They keep working. I saw free. it when I was a kid. And what's interesting is even when, it, you know, People say, oh, standards have changed. It was racist when it came out. And I think you follow this, too. There's a podcast called You Must Remember This. You Must Remember This. I love that. And she did a whole episode about it. And there was an outcry before it even came out in 1946. So like, people knew then that it was not okay. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I'm surprised because... Uh, well, I mean, some people did. They just Disney didn't. But, you know, um, but I what I'm surprised about is I thought that the Disneyland in California changed the Splash Mountain and made it tied to other movies. I thought they were going to keep the ride, but change the association. So is that not what they did in Disney World? Uh, according to the L.A. Times piece I read, um, it, it, it hasn't changed. But again, I it, it, the the. the the L.A. Times piece I read on it was not clear, but the bottom line is, is that Splash Mountain, as of right now, is still uh, tied to Song of the South. And what's interesting, you know, going going to to Karina Longworth's podcast, and, and I and I can't recommend it enough. If you love film, listen to her podcast. It's called You Must Remember This. And she did do a wonderful and she always does a deep dive and tons of yeah. research on anything and everything that she covers. But what she talked about that I didn't know is that there have been several re-releases of that film. And the last one was in the 80s, uh, like 1980. And, oh, and, wow. the, and the re-releases that they've done to that film have always been at times when there has been social strife and the conservatives were pushing for power. 1980, 80, the last was the last re-release, and that's when Reagan was running for office. Wow. And prior to that was, you know, during like during the McCarthy era. And it, it's it's been like that kind of stuff when they have when they've re-released this film. Well, that's and, like uh, all those Confederate statues that weren't put up after the war. They were put up during civil rights movements to make sure that. Well, they were put up. They were put up, especially like, for example, they made such a big deal out of taking the Confederate flag uh, out of uh, out of the official Georgia state flag. And that was added to the Georgia flag as a reaction to Brown versus the Board of Education yeah. in 19, what, 55? Was that right? Something like that. 54, I think. Is it 54 Brown I think it's Board, 54. Board of Education? Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, most of those were not put up during the Civil War. They, they were put up as a um as a as a direct response to uh to to civil rights activities. In fact, what's interesting is if you look at the growth of the Ku Klux Klan, um the Ku, Ku Klux Klan has only had a handful of, of times in this country when there have been lots of Klansmen and when the movement has grown. The first was right after Reconstruction when it was first founded, and then you know, then it kind of died off. Then D.W. Griffith came out with the birth of a nation where the Klan's the heroes, and that was the, the biggest t- growth in the KKK like ever. They had and I'll tell you something, here's something you probably didn't know. The 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 biggest Klan gathering. 
The biggest clan gathering in the history of the KKK took place around 1920, like shortly after the birth of a nation, and they had 10,000 Klansmen meet for a convention in Napa, California, the wine country. I remember hearing about that, and that that, that makes no sense, but on the other hand, it does, because, wow. Yeah, 10,000 then. Then you wow, saw... Then it kind of died off. And then you saw an explosion of Klansmen again uh, during the civil rights movement. Right. And unfortunately, seeing these white supremacist groups are growing again now. You know, it's really, God, I don't know why I I was flipping channels and on the Turner Classic movies, I saw a movie that starred Ginger Rogers and Ronald Reagan, speaking of which, called Storm Warning from 1951. And it's supposedly an anti-Klan movie. The bad thing that the Klan does in that is that they kill a white reporter and they make it sound like all the Klan does is violate law enforcement, but they don't at all mention racism. But they have the hoods and they make the Klan the villains, but it's like they had to water it down for 1951 or for Reagan to start. And he's he plays the good guy. He plays the district attorney who's trying to take down the Klan. Wow. But what's it called again? I'd like to see it. Storm Warning. And it was Storm Warning was considered Doris Day's first serious acting role where she didn't sing. She plays the wife of a guy who turns out to be in the Klan. And Ginger Rogers is her sister. And she comes through town and she witnesses them killing this reporter. You know, I mean, it's the biggest um, in terms of entertainment, direct attack on the Klan at a time when it was really dangerous to attack the Klan. You know who it was that did it? Believe it or not. Superman. The, the 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 radio series Superman wow. did it. There, there was a guy whose name I completely forget. He was an investigative reporter who used to embed himself uh, into various situations and then write about it. And he embedded himself into the Klan and learned all of their secrets and all of their secret, you know, their secret handshakes and their secret rituals and how the hierarchy worked and all this. And he came up with the idea that the best way to stop this is to, is to stop it while the kids are young before they get sucked into this crap. Yeah. And he went to, um, he went to Kellogg's and it was Kellogg's who owned Superman, uh, who owned the, the radio show Superman. They were, they were the main sponsors and, and Kellogg said, okay. Shockingly Kellogg said, okay. And they ran a, a Superman ran five. I, mean, I collect old radio, so I know all the stuff. Superman ran five days a week. It was a 15 minute, 15 minutes a day. And, and they ran a series called the Clan of the Fiery Cross. Wow. That that ran. And, and you can listen to it. You can listen to it on radio. You can listen uh, rather uh, online. It's free. Go, you know, Google it and and pull it up. And they talk about all the stuff. And what it comes down to is this, you know, the the whole plot of it is, is that Jimmy Olsen is managing this youth baseball team. And this white kid who's the pitcher loses his spot to a Japanese kid. And uh, because he loses his spot to the Japanese kid. uh, His uh, he goes home and complains to his uncle. And his his uncle uh, is a member of the KKK and 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 talks him in all of this crap. Wow. So, when, you, when was this? When what decade? Oh, probably 1946, maybe. Wow. The 1940s. God. I'm told Chris Riggins is here. Chris, are you in? Hey, we, yeah, we, I just got in. I'm sorry. I, 
had an audition and uh, then my internet was that crazy. So I'm here. Well, hey, welcome. Chris. Hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody's doing well. We're just talking KKK stuff. Yeah. And Splash Mountain oh. is closing down. Splash Mountain is closing down because of the ties to Song of the South. So as of May 3rd, if you want to if you want to ride, if you want to ride Splash Mountain as it is, uh, you have to do it before May 3rd. Can't I never understood that. Song of the South. Pardon? Can they just remove that song from it? Well, the it, it's apparently tied to have to themes in the film and they won't even show the film is in a is in a vault. And and the song, by the way, you know, the song is that's tied to it most is zippity doo da zippity yay. And what people don't realize is that's a menstrual a menstrual song that was originally called Zip Coon. Yeah, that was the name of that song. That's what they talked about on that podcast. I remember mentioning that. Wow. The thing is, it's just a log ride in water like they have a great America. They could take, you know, they could throw in Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. I mean, it could be anything. Uh. Well, they're gonna they're gonna replace it with uh with, with themes from the princess and the frog. Where oh, I believe perfect. the princess is African American. Yeah, and it yeah, takes and place a frog in the for seventy percent of the film, a frog for literally eighty five percent of the film. So, <laughs> are, are, are you serious? <laughs> I guess she was black. <laughs> I guess, I guess <laughs> it was a black character. Um, I mean, she sounded black for most of the film, but it was definitely. Uh, you know, that's like there's, you know, like that's something that has been coming up a lot about kids movies is that there is a trend that black lead characters have to be something else for a majority of the film. They can't just be the black lead. They have to turn into something. And it's kind of like a running theme that has been happening in kids movies. I haven't seen a kids movie in a long time. I guess I'll be seeing them again in, in yeah. the not too distant future. I'll be watching kids movies again, but it's like I haven't, I haven't seen a Disney movie that was a Disney kids movie in a in a long time, in a long, long time. So, so well, you're not making that. It. The, 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 the lines are blurring with the kids movies. They're making more of the kids movies acceptable to adults. So what but they're doing, been doing is, that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. They're making them like Pixar is great at making these movies where it's, yeah. you can yeah. take everybody. They're more yeah. family. Let me not say kids movies. They're actually family movies now, which is fun in aspect. But yeah, in the family movies, like the one, uh, what was the one where the brother turned into a ghost? What was that uh, one? Uh, was Soul? Uh, is that the one? Soul. Yeah. Soul. So yeah. he's it's black dude for a portion of the movie. Then he's a ghost majority of the rest of the movie. Um, and that kind of goes in that kind of one. That one kind of goes into the magical Negro trope. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so you got you got the one with Will Smith where he plays a spy. But he ends up being a pigeon for most of the movie. <laughs> what's the so movie? You, so- oh God, I forget what's well, called. I, I have two questions. What's number one? What's the movie? Number two, does he slap other pigeons? I was gonna say, does the you know what? I do believe there's a scene where the pigeon does slap somebody who's going hysterical, but I can't remember exactly. <laughs> so does the new live action Little Mermaid fit in that? Since Ariel is a mermaid. Yo, real talk. There's a whole other there's a whole other debate with that one now, because like people have been seeing scenes that don't depict her when she's, you know, showing she's not a mermaid. And I'm going to be real. Some of these scenes are making it look like a real slave movie. But <laughs> that's just it. if you if you look at the stills from these pictures, you're like, maybe those people who didn't want a black mermaid was trying to save us from the slave movie that they was actually going to make. Like, that's just, Ooh. you know, it's in the Caribbean, so I don't know. 
You know, I, I just that, don't get the people that are so upset about the fact that Ariel is is being played by an African American audience, an actress, I should say. And, yeah. and you've got people who are saying <laughs> with a straight face, the Little Mermaid is white. No, the Little Mermaid is not real. She's well, they're a mermaid. saying the argument, which is even more ludicrous, is that since the original fairy tale, which the movie has nothing to do with it, has a totally different ending. Since the original fairy tale was written by Hans Christian Andersen, who was from the Netherlands or Denmark, um, that she has to look Danish. Which, I mean, it's like she's a fictional character. There are not real mermaids. It's like the people who get well, upset when the superheroes are different ethnicities or well, sexual. Identities. Here's the way you hit them with the realistic. Like, the, I, I, I like to play their little game of if this was real. Like, okay, let's say mermaids are real. The Little Mermaid was written about something that happened in the Caribbean. Technically, if we're talking about reality, the Little Mermaid would have been of Caribbean descent, which means right, she probably right. would have been brown, Taina, right. or some sort of native yeah. person like Moana. If you think about the story, that's perfectly how it was because in that yeah. in that area, that's what they would have looked like. So for me, it's like I even like with Superman, like uh, somebody was talking about Superman needs to be white. And I was like, well, technically, Superman gets his son from the power. So, I mean, his power from the sun. So if, if if we're really talking about Superman getting power from the sun, in order for him to, to be able to absorb sun power, he would have to have some melanin in his skin. So he probably exactly. would have been a brother or some indigenous colored person. So there uh, is, a, you know, there is, there is a, a there, there's word anyway that there is a Superman film with a black Superman in in early development right now. Because uh, DC's doing these what they're calling else worlds, where there are kind of different takes on on heroes that are not part of what the regular universe is, and they're going to do one. The, the word is with with Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. Wow, as as, uh, as Superman, dope. that oh, would be that I, would be very cool. I'm Megan Kelly will have now. to. I'm worried on a bit now about a black Superman in America, like oh, <laughs> like black Superman would be bulletproof, but not to racism. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you can get Megan Kelly insisting that Superman like Jesus is white. You know, black Superman tried to kill 13 people by throwing a bus out of the way of a train. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Oh oh, but, gosh. you know, there are some things there are some things I'm a, I'm a traditionalist about. and It takes some getting used to and I'll give you a perfect example. I'm, I'm a big fan of Perry Mason. And I have been since I was a kid. I used to read the books when I was like in high schools when I just I discovered the books. And Earl Stanley Gardner wrote something like, I want to say seventy or a hundred books. Uh, and uh, and I actually, I wanted to be. I, if I weren't doing comedy, I would be a lawyer. That was the plan. That that's how much I loved Perry Mason. And so I loved the series. You know, I, I was during the shutdown. I watched. I I bought all nine seasons and watched wow. the whole series. And now I've been watching the new one. HBO's got the new one, and it's produced by Robert Downey Jr. and his wife Susan in their their production company. And they have set it in in Los Angeles in the 1930s. You know, the 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 TV series was contemporary for its time. It was it, it ran from 19 1957 and 1966, if I'm not mistaken. And so it was contemporary for its time. But here's what they've done. And now there, there are three main characters in Perry Mason. There's Perry, there's his secretary, Della Street, 
and his confidential secretary, Della Street. And you never really know what's going on between Perry and Della because they always kind of hint that there's a romance, but you're not sure if there's a romance, you know, but there he's taking her out to dinner always. Is there something going on? Is there not? I mean, that that's that's been going on for 70 years. And then you've got Paul Drake, who's who's kind of a ladies man, who is the investigator who goes out and, you know, looks into the crimes. Well, in this new version, Della Street's a lesbian. Della Street is a lesbian who who was uh, who just uh, left her girlfriend to move in with another woman in in 1937 or whenever this has taken place. And Paul Drake is African-American. Paul Drake is African-American. He's married. He's got a wife. He's got I think he's got a kid. And so it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, it's an interesting dynamic that I, I the only issue I have with Della Street being a lesbian is that you lose that whole um, romantic chemistry about, you know, about will they that the Rachel and Ross, will they or won't they? You know, you lose you lose that there. But yeah. other than that, it's a great show. It really is a great show. But you got to give them credit in today's climate, the sexual tension between a boss and his secretary. You know, I mean, they would have a lot of, I mean, even if they said it in 1930 when that was still okay to do, I mean, you know, you don't want your boss flirting with the secretary these days. But so see, here's, here's the thing, and, and that's, you know, here's a perfect example of this, and that is like, um, you know, Tavis Smiley got me too. And and Tavis Smiley, what Tavis Smiley's um, transgression was, was, you know, he had a production company and his production company had to deal with PBS. And I think it was Walmart that was that was the underwriter that paid for his show. And it came out that he had had a number of consensual affairs with people who worked with him, with producers and executive producers and every woman that they they, they did an investigation and every single woman they talked to said, oh, no, 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 we dated. And, you know, we dated and it ended fine and everything was cool. You know, and it was consensual. I wasn't pressured into it. It's nothing of that kind, nothing like that whatsoever. Uh, but they, you know, they they pulled this whole power dynamic thing. And uh, the power dynamic wasn't the same. And they used that as the excuse to cancel Tabitha Smiley's show. And you haven't seen Tabitha Smiley since, you know, on the basis of that. And I think yeah. about how many people I know and and you can probably say the same thing who met their significant others uh, at work, who met their significant others when their significant other was their boss or they were the boss of their significant other. I, I know five couples that are like that. And what Tavis said was, I work 16 hours a day. Where else am I going to meet people other well, than that's... work? I, I, you know, I never pressured anybody in anything. Do you think he did anything wrong? I don't think he did anything wrong. I'm saying that's why there is an argument to be made for bosses not dating subordinates. That's one thing to date, you know, either you know clients or people coming in who are at or people at your level or in different departments. But if you're responsible for supervising somebody, that's why most sexual harassment laws make clear in companies you can't date a subordinate because it could be completely consensual. But if it goes off the rails, that it's easy even for the, the the junior person to claim that they were, you know, reprimanded or fired yeah. because the relationship went wrong. There's too much potential for it to be abused. I'm not saying that Tavis Smiley did, 
Um, right. And you're right. It's, uh, and maybe if he's the boss of the whole thing, there's nobody else there for him to date. And that's unfortunate. But I just don't think, it, you know, if, if somebody is your boss and asks you, and I've had that happen where a boss asked me out, if I didn't want to go, you can say it's consensual or not consensual, but boy, you feel that pressure. So, mm, and if yeah, that's a person responsible for. Well, I, I will tell you this, and, and here, here's, here's the one thing on the other side, and that is that there were some women who he didn't date uh, who said that the optics of who he was dating from time to time um, weren't good. It made it look yeah. like in their eyes that she got special treatment or got special assignments or got special favors or or whatever because she was his girlfriend. Right. And even if that was totally merit based, it's hard. It's just like, you know, like Clarence Thomas easy. on the Supreme Court going out, you know, going on these lavish trips, even if that guy didn't influence any Supreme Court decisions, you want to have nothing that gives the appearance of it being unfair. Exactly. And if somebody that the boss is dating gets a promotion or gets an extra assignment, it's going to look like it. I, mean, I remember everything. when I started in stand up, there, there was a, there was a club in Sacramento that had a rule that, that comics were not allowed to date cocktail waitresses. And and let's be honest, when you're starting and in, in, when you're starting in comedy again, it's the people you're working with. You come into a club a couple of times a year. You meet a waitress you know, or a couple of them. They become your friends. And after the show is over, yeah. you're sitting around having drinks after the after the show's over and the place is all locked up and it's three o'clock in the morning. And everybody's hanging out. And, you know, one thing leads to another and you end up dating somebody. So, you know, well, let's be real. Is it dating or do you end up that? sleeping with somebody? Like that's what we have to that's what we have to really be real. Like dating and sleeping with somebody are two completely different dynamics when it comes to workplace. Like, yeah, yeah. In, in the workplace, people are going to hook up, link up. You know, some of them develop into real relationships. But let's be real. A lot of them are just at the moment we're in proximity of each other. So we're just going to do what humans naturally do when they're in the proximity of each other. And then you add in alcohol and all those things. Cause I honestly, Brian, I don't, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a complete fair comparison to add, to compare our environment because we work in a very unique environment. We really do. And, and you're all right. You're all right when you're talking about a hookup and relationship because you're in, Sac you're, you're in Sacramento with her this week, but next week you're in Indianapolis. So how are you going to have a exactly. relationship? Exactly. You're not really dating them. You're hooking up. And yeah, if they're, if you understand, if you, if, if you have the ability to communicate that this is a hookup, it often can work out. But if and the reality is, most of us, when we're intoxicated, are not thinking about what's going to happen after this hookup. So we get right. drunk, we do it, and the next thing you know, someone's feelings get involved. So you come back the next time, and some chick that you know comes and flirts with you. Now that waitress is feeling away, and it's it was innocent, it was consensual, but now she's like, ah, okay. So you just be using women, okay? So now you get now it's, that becomes something. So with Tavis, and I agree very much with you, Lauren, that. He didn't do anything wrong in the sake of being a human. It very right. makes a lot of sense. You're around these people. It's proximity. It's very easy right. to do these things. But optic wise, optic, it looks very much like, oh, OK, so I got to suck and do some other things to get higher up in this company because I, I'm be real, Brian. He might have been on some just very consensual. We're in a relationship thing. But if you work with your girlfriend, you go hook your girlfriend up more. You go, you go let her take a longer lunch. You go, you know, hook her up with the better assignments. 
you're gonna there's gonna be some yeah, things because no, you don't no, want I, that problem. I, I think, I, think that there, no, I, I, I disagree with that. I think that there are people who are completely able to be unbiased and to treat somebody they work with and and are involved with to to, oh, to compartmentalize. Are, yeah, exactly. That, and to compartmentalize there are people who can. There are and people who can, but let's be real. The majority of people can't. Let's and, just be completely honest. And we give Tavis and give Tavis the benefit or whoever a boss is the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the person that he's attracted to isn't just somebody he finds physically attractive, but also competent, smart. So that is going to be the person he's more likely to promote and give work to because of, of ability. But again, going back to your comedy club analogy, Chris, of, you know, comics hooking up with cocktail waitresses. That's one thing, but what I'm talking about, and the more analogous to the Tavis situation, is the manager of the club. Because I've worked as a cocktail waitress, not in oh, comedy yeah. clubs, but in bars, and I have been hit on by my boss. And that's the person who controls the shift. So you know, yeah, on top definitely. of all the alcohol and everything. I mean, that's know. that's that's the old the old comic joke is how do you turn a comic on? You know, put on put on an apron and carry a tray. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of was in a nutshell. I don't I, you know, know. I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Chris. You're working at the comedy store in Hollywood. Is there any kind of rule about employee fraternization? Yeah, you would think so, but not really. <laughs> I was going to say you would, so. you, would think, you would think so, wouldn't you? Because you if something was going to so. happen, they, they've been open. They've been open what fifty years? Not something really. Like but that. you know, I will say about the comedy store, and this is like behind the curtain. I'm not going to give up any, you know, details, but. Uh, the 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 unit that we have as a staff they are so tight knit that we have we are all really good friends so it, it kind of like there's an unwritten rule of who to mess with and who not to mess with you know what I mean yeah. like I see a lot of there's yeah there's attractive people that work with me there's attractive comedians that come in but I love that place so much I don't want to bring any of that drama into that area and relationships can be great and they can be dramatic and the problem is they're both so what happens is you know I don't want that place that is my happy home that is my happy place to become some place where it's like now I gotta go see this chick oh lord yeah. oh, I hope they don't What's you know the line I don't want that all right, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just. Did I lose you? Oh, no, I'm back. I'm sorry. I thought, um, no, it's, yeah, it, ideally, you don't want to be trying to date where you work anyway, because if it goes south, you got to deal with that. On the That was all I was going to say. It's like, you know, anyway. Uh, what about what about dating another comic? Have any of you ever done that? Yes. yes. Just finished doing that. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you just finished doing that. You just finished doing and, that. I and mean, how'd that work out? How'd that work out for you? It just, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad break. It was, it was just a lot of stuff going over that led to it. So it's like, you know, she's still, she's a really dope person. I still, you know, we haven't really seen each other because I moved from the Bay Area, but you know, she's she's a really dope person, really good comedian. And I, you know, I wish her the best. My issue is um I've actually kind of had a conversation with other comedians about this is dating comedians is not really a big issue. And I know a lot of comedians don't do it. Like my homegirl I stay with now, she's like, I do not date comedians. And that's some people have to set the rules, but here's a debate that we've had in the comedy green rooms for a minute, which is, can you date a comedian that is not as funny as you? Hmm. Well, that's, you know, with that, you know, how I, I equate that, that that's like dating somebody who makes more money than you. Right. You know, there's a, a lot of guys have an issue. There are a lot of guys that wouldn't date a woman who makes more money than them. 
I so I mean, so I can, I, I'm definitely dating a woman that makes more money than me. Actually, I've made a pattern of it. I was like, well, you're a comic. Every woman makes more money. Than you. Exactly. So I, I, you know, I, I love it. I was a rapper too. So it was. <laughs> I guess in my in my case, it was performers, and I married both of them. Both of my husbands I met doing shows, um, but it didn't work out the first time. It worked out the second time. So I guess fifty percent. But see that that proves Tavis's point again. You know, where do you meet people? You yeah. meet. You have a tendency to meet people in the workplace, right? But in our so case, as long as you're as, as long as you're are, are appropriate in the workplace, as long as you're not harassing someone, and as long as you're appropriate in the workplace and it's consensual and it's not affecting your job, I just have never understood what the issue is. The issue is, and, and, and I'm not saying it because I've done it because I've never done it. And I, I'm not saying it because I've done it. I've been in the situation because I haven't. I did. Um, I did the theater based uh, sexual harassment training for a large university around here. And so I went through their training program. And the way most colleges do it is you can date people in the workforce if you don't have immediate supervisory responsibility for them. And that seems to be a fair way because, yeah, you're at work. Like for me, when I met people doing shows, it was a one-time deal. It wasn't my 40-hour-a-week, all-year-long thing. But mm -hmm. for most people, you're at the same workplace all the time. So that kind of policy recognizes that you're going to meet colleagues in different departments or in your department, but in you know different areas or you're at a peer level. The only thing they don't want is dating somebody who you supervise because there's just it's even it, it, there's just too much potential for that to go wrong. And or, and again, optically, even yeah. even optically, that just doesn't look good. And the perception that was the biggest issue that we ended up doing with the training was it wasn't even so much you have to date me or I won't give you a good review or I'm going to fire you if you don't date me. It was more other people resenting that person getting a promotion or feeling like they got gypped because they didn't go out with the guy, the supervisor. Now, I'll tell you the worst, you know, as, as a comic, I'll tell you the absolute worst. The absolute worst is when there's a guy who owns a club, then he gets a girlfriend and then the girlfriend and the club owner all of a sudden thinks she can tell you what to do. Yep. The girlfriend of the club owner is, is suddenly is suddenly telling comics how to do their act. Oh, Yoko Ono syndrome. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Suddenly so telling comedians how they do their acts or what what words not to use on a stage and all this just because you're because you're screwing the guy who owns the club. So 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 suddenly suddenly you're you, you somehow have some kind of de facto power. You know, unless your name's on my check, shut up. If your name if your name is, is not signed to my check, you know, at the end of the week, shut up. Don't tell me what to do with my act. You know, but I think we've all we've all seen that. We've all seen that. But it is it, it's a it's a it's a mind it's a minefield. But I've always I know Tavis and I've, I've always felt badly for Tavis since that happened to him because it really it really it's destroyed his career. You haven't seen him since hardly. You know, yeah. uh, and he, where he was on nightly television, uh, and I just, I just I felt that, especially, you know, he got caught up in the Harvey Weinstein and everything else, and they're they're night and day. It's not the same thing. Yeah, it's just no. not. It's just not the same thing. Now, whether if you want to argue about whether it was appropriate or not, if you want to argue about the optics of it, or and I can certainly see the, I can certainly see what you guys mean about the optics of it. And I can see what the other women who work there, who who felt that they did not get the same opportunities as whoever the girl was he was currently dating. I can certainly see can certainly see how that would look, and yeah, that and, and that creates problems. 
And I've been in that position of being, you know, turning down somebody who was in a more powerful position and they didn't retaliate, thank goodness, but they could have. And that's scary, you know, especially if you're younger and you're just getting started in whatever field it is. Um, you do feel like you have to say yes to somebody who's in that position. And power is uh, attractive, too. So let's 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 sh sort of shift gears <laughs> and we'll talk about somebody who's a real predator. Uh, Donald Trump is uh, among his, his his lawsuits. The lawsuit that's coming up next is he's being sued by E. Jean Carroll for defamation. Because E. Jean Carroll said that back in the 70s uh, in Bergdorf Goodman's, he raped her. And oh, no. he said he said, no, he didn't. And so she's suing him for defamation. Well, he's asked the judge to postpone the trial because he said that because of his indictment, that that's going to be on the minds of every potential member of the jury and the jury pool is going to be tainted because of the notoriety of the indictment case. And and I quite frankly think that that's a load of crap. It's it's yeah. Donald Trump. Is there anyone in this country who does not have? Is there anybody in this country who would go Trump? Yeah, you know it's okay. I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. No, no. And the other I'm thing is, it's not just. And that's not just the New York indictment. Apparently, um, there are multiple other indictments possibly coming down the road between yeah. election interference in Georgia, the January sixth, um, funny. Willis, is that her name? The other district Fonny, attorney? Fonny, Fonny Willis is the Atlanta case. Yeah, the Atlanta case. I mean, there's like I mean, if they were going to base it on that, they'd have to wait 25 years for the case to go forward. So I mean, the other thing, I guess the judge in the indictment case threw out his request to um, reveal the names of the jury because he's been attacking everybody like he's not right. helping himself by spouting off on his all caps ranting. Or having or, or or making his jurors potential targets right. of of the nuts who are following him, you know, exactly. and who are willing to resort to, to 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 violence. I mean, I wouldn't want to sit on that jury, would you? No way. You know. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Since everybody in this country, one way or another, has an opinion on Trump, do you think that it is possible to find 12 people who are going to truly give him a fair trial, who are going to be able to put aside any personal feelings that they have and look solely at the evidence, be it evidence that convicts him or evidence that acquits him. And I got to be honest and tell you, no, I, don't <laughs> just, Not I, I just don't planet. see it. I don't see it. I beg to differ. I think it is possible to have a strong opinion that he's a horrible person, but he still deserves the benefit of a fair trial. And to look at the evidence. And I like to think that I'm somebody who could, I don't want to be on that jury because I don't want him to attack me. But if I were to get picked on a jury like that, it's, you're not, the, the verdict isn't, is Trump scum of the earth and deserves to be hated? It's, did he do this one thing and does it rise to the level of a felony? Because that's the big issue in the New York yeah. cases. It's a misdemeanor that becomes, yeah. How do you separate them, though? Like I, you, you can say that, but it's like, you know, the whole concept that individually humans are intelligent, rational beings, but in large groups, they are not. So I don't see how as a whole society, you're going to find 12 people that can't stick, that will not be able to, that will be able to separate their personal feelings for him, whether they love him or hate him from the verdict or from judging this case. Because and, and I'm just, with it. he's such Even a polarizing person. 
even if there's, even if you're trying to, uh, people are still human beings. And and right. even even if they're going with the best of intentions, I just don't see how your opinion couldn't couldn't color your verdict. I don't know. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen the evidence, and I have seen liberals who don't think Trump should run again saying things like, "I'm not sure this rises to the level of a felony." I mean, I don't know. I I'm an optimist. I think people might be able to do that. And given the number of pundits that I've read who have quibbled with whether this is felony worthy indictment. I think it is possible to see he's a horrible person. I have my opinions about him. Let's look at whether he did this one thing. Well, I mean, you well, got to believe that's possible because then otherwise he could never have a trial. Well, the, what this reminds me of is the OJ trial. And that was the whole big th- dilemma with the OJ trial is can they find 12 people who will sit in and, and render a fair verdict based on the evidence in the OJ trial? And yes, they yeah. found the 12 and the two alternates and coming to find out that obviously, no, they didn't. Yeah. You know, they've talked to those jurors afterwards and, and a couple of, of those jurors have admitted that they really ignored the evidence and that they voted to acquit because of the Rodney. That was payback for Rodney King. That's in that documentary that the documentary yeah. they did. OJ in black and white. One of the jurors said that, yeah, that was in their minds. It says that this was payback for Rodney King. You know, and here they oh. thought that they had found 12, you know, what do they call it? 12 jurors, good and true. You know, and and they hadn't. So it's like, you know, you know what? I don't I don't think he can get a fair trial in this country. I don't. Um, yeah, I still think it's possible. And granted, you know, that OJ verdict was so awful. And I was dismayed to see the jurors seemed like they lied in jury selection. But there's nothing comparable to what Trump has done. So fortunately, there's no precedent. So. Um, at least there's nothing for payback. Mm-hmm. I got to believe it's possible. Otherwise, what's the point? Because then he'll get away with everything. Well, that's it. I mean, that's that's really it in a nutshell. And, and quite frankly, if he's convicted and, and the way the evidence looks at all the stuff, he'll get convicted. The, you're talking about major grounds of appeal, grounds for appeal yeah. on all of this. Yeah. On all, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll spend, he's going to spend the rest of his life on appellate court. He's, he's yeah, got, but you know, then Mark, that'll make know. him too. It'll make him too busy to run effectively for president, which is frankly what most of us care most about. We just don't want him back. Well, let's be honest. Is he going to run effectively for president? Period. I mean, I saw an ABC Ipsos poll today that his approval rating in America. Okay, this is this is not just the MAGA crowd and the Republican primary voters, but the general electorate in America. His approval rating is twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. What is means- wrong with those twenty five percent people? That's just mind boggling. That there's that <laughs> many people. That's what there's three hundred million people, seventy five million people, or among voters that think he's. Oh, ugh. That's amazing. But yeah, well, let's let's uh, let's end it with this. Um, the coronation is uh, is coming up in England, where Charles will officially be crowned King Charles the Third of England. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were going to attend the coronation. Uh, there, there. Depending on if you believe the British tabloids, the the British people did not want them there. Um, you know, the, the tabloids have not been very, very kind to them. And it was announced this afternoon that Prince Harry is going to the coronation to support his father, but Meghan Markle is not. 
Uh, it hmm. is their it is uh, their son Prince Archie's fourth birthday, so she's going to stay in California uh, to celebrate Archie's birthday while uh, while Harry goes to the coronation. So, do you buy that? That's the reason that she's staying. I don't. I don't. You, you, you could celebrate his birthday in England. I mean, well, I, and four I, I year olds four year olds can't tell what day of the month it is. You could tell them it's his birthday the next week. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't buy it. I mean, I have some sympathy for Harry and Meghan, but it is also hard to feel sorry for people who are saying that they just moved here for privacy as publicly as they have been talking about how much they want their privacy and have not shut up since. Exactly. So <laughs> I want to have sympathy say. because I I think the monarchy is is so outdated and sort of the systemic racism of that they've experienced there is pretty awful. Yeah. Um, and the, the British tabloid press makes mm. ours look like, you know, NPR, but, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know why this, these two have, have, have created such a, a hate for them. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't understand this. Okay. They want it out. They got out. They're good. I'm, I, I don't like people are, are trying to talk to them. So it's like if someone calls them to interview them, are they to say, nah, we don't want to do an interview or can they tell their story? I think what the problem, my issue is, is that people are hating two people that they don't even have no reason to hate yeah. for any reason whatsoever. And after I read how they talked about that woman in, in, in the UK, I'm team Megan all day. I was a little upset at Chris Rock for going in on her because I'm like, she hasn't done anything wrong to anybody. No, she all she does. Yeah, All she has she is it. tell her story. All she has is talk about her life. All she has is answer questions about what's going on with her. And people are so mad at her for doing that. And it just makes me feel like yeah, but if it was the other princess or the other queen, Kate, they wouldn't be nobody would care if they were talking about their privacy. Oh, people there's would all, be there's, so there's, much. There's there's all kinds of of comparisons to outfits that they both wore, where right. they where they said Kate Middleton looked you know regal and all this, and 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 mm. Meghan Marco looked trashy. Mm. I mean, it's it's just was just so incredibly biased. And I think one of the things that bothered, um, you know, based upon the stuff that I read, you know, and I read the book, I read Spare, and I watched the HBO documentary. I didn't see the sixty Minutes interview, and um, in that, it's Meghan Markle was really. Because Becoming the new Diana. Exactly. She really because she's fighting the the family, the what do they call it? The company. The, yeah. You know, as opposed to Kate Middleton's is is a silent, devoted, you know, she's just the accessory spouse and she doesn't say anything and she dresses nicely and looks pretty, and that's all you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a girl that world. comes from Compton first. Yeah. <laughs> a girl who was basically born and bred to be in this position that she's in. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like for me, I'm all the way team Megan and Harry for some fact that, you know, for a, a white man who is a British royal to choose a black wife, whether she's half black, full black or whatever, that says a lot about him. Because yeah. not only is he deciding yeah. that because, like, you know, when, when you know, it's one thing that people are saying when you do that connection of white and black like that. White people have to understand you're about to take on all of what black people experience yep. because now that person is part of your life. So you have to be willing to accept all that, that, that pain and all that just history of just like, of you know, racial abuse. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to live with that. 
So for him to choose that, I'm like, okay, I could I could rock with Harry. I don't know if it's full commitment, but we'll see. But at the end of the day, I I don't feel I'm not mad at them for doing what they're doing. They said I wanted privacy, but they're still celebrities. So it's like, yeah, I feel like there's only so much privacy they're going to get. But I do feel like they're getting something like they don't but, deserve but they, the hate but, they're but, getting. But, but, but in, in, in fairness, they courted a lot of it. Yeah, they came and they wanted privacy, but privacy doesn't mean that you produce a six part documentary. Privacy doesn't mean that you write a book and then go on 60 minutes to promote the book that you're writing. Well, why can't but, they you know, talk? Why can't they tell their story? They didn't they didn't go out there and say, hey, come invader. They said, hey, we want to tell our story, because if you think about it, he left the monarchy. He left yeah. England for yes, his wife. So yes, it's a very interesting story, being yeah. that we have this long history of these people never breaking tradition, never, 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 never stepping outside the box. And he's doing that. So, yes, they're producing a six part well, series happened, for us to see why they're doing it. Before. it I'm not mad before. at them. Edward the Sixth gave up the gave up the throne to, to marry Wallace Simpson, who was an American divorcee. And they said, you could, you cannot be king and be married to this woman. So he yeah. said, fine, I won't be king. And so right. Elizabeth's father, George, ended up becoming king. And that's why Elizabeth became the queen. And Diana left, it's, too. She divorced uh, Charles. She and divorced. She yeah, exactly. Right. And it's a story. So it's like it's not even that they wanted the attention is that just doing what they did created attention and for them yeah, to address yeah. it is not wrong for them to say yeah this is what happened we're going to give you the information from our side instead of you guys speculating because that's what the issue is like nowadays you have and to give people the info or they're going to speculate and they're going to create all these narratives and with the social media and all this stuff it becomes like one big mess and it's like you know what if i put my truth out there it's out there and then if people want to be mad about the truth, whatever. But my truth is out there and that's what it is. And in fairness, Chris, you know what? I don't think Harry and Meghan ever said we want privacy. We want privacy. That's the narrative that was kind of put on it. And so I take back what I said about criticizing them for not shutting up about wanting privacy. You're right. They 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 have a right to tell their story. And I take back my criticism. It's like when uh, when Aisha Curry said Sometimes she still wants to feel wanted. You know what I mean? Like she was talking about what it's like to have a husband like Steph Curry. And sometimes, you know, as a woman, she wants to feel a certain way. And everybody vilified her like, oh, you got the best husband. You're trying to be in the streets and, da -da -da. and it's like, no, nah. y'all are just attacking her because she said her truth. And that's the part that really bothers me is when people say their truth and they're attacked just basically because everybody's projecting their own feelings towards somebody else's truth. And that's a good place to leave it. Chris Riggins, Lauren Mayer. Chris, you're at the uh, you're at the comedy store or any, yes. any place else. Anyplace uh, else. Well, uh, if you're if you're coming through this Friday, I'll be at the comedy store performing live in the belly room for the up next show. Um, and I'll be in Pasadena on Saturday. So um, at, go the, to my at, the, at, at the ice house, I will be at the Pasadena ice house on uh, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo with my homegirl B Gutierrez is going to be dope. Come check it out. 8 p.m. All right. And uh, and Lauren, Lauren, your laryngitis is over. My laryngitis is over. So I will be back for my second Monday Night Marsh on April 24th. That's at 7 p.m. at the Marsh doing Don't Mind Me. I'll just sit here in the dark. And also on April 29th, if you're in San Francisco, I'm music directing a production of A My Name is Alice at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. It's free to the public. If you go to SFCM.edu um, 
and you can get tickets for that. It's a, you know, it's a program teaching opera singers to do musical theater and they're wonderful. And it's a fun sort of 80s feminist musical. Uh, and I want to mention I'm in my seventh month of doing Grandma and Me, and we're going wow. to just do a few more performances uh, and it's going to close on April the 29th. So if you if you've meant to see it and you have not seen it, you got just a couple of more opportunities. Saturday nights, five o'clock. We're doing an early matinee. Uh, so there are three more shows. So for tickets, go to themarsh.org or go to briancopeland.com. And uh, there are links in both places for you to pick up tickets. Uh, Lauren Mayer, Chris Riggins, always a pleasure. I will talk to you both soon. Thanks. All right. See you later. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening and for sharing the last hour with us. If you like the podcast, there are a number of ways that you can uh, you can support us. People always send me emails going, how can we support you? Tell people. I mean, that's the biggest way. Tell people, tell people that you, you listen to this podcast and you find it entertaining. Uh, another way that you can help us is whatever platform you're using to listen to us, to listen to us on, give us a five-star review because that does help people to find the show. It seems like a, it seems like a little something, but it really is a big deal because uh, it, it increases the rankings of the show and it makes it easier. People have a tendency to look towards the top when they're deciding what it is that they're going to, to read or, or what it is that they're going to listen to. And, you know, tell anybody you know any way you possibly can. I will check you out next week. Until then, be kind to your neighbor. He knows where you live. <laughs>